most of you do know me, so thanks, but thanks for that introduction. Um, I am uh, sad for the folks that I'm looking out and I'm not seeing, so I hope I'll wave to you in Zoom land. I know Billy is watching from Zoom land, so hi, Billy. Um, well, welcome, everyone. It's good to be in the house of the Lord together. It's good to be the house of the Lord together. The church is the, is the temple, um, and we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So it is, it's good to be um, together with you here, the temple of the Lord. Um, it, and I am, am excited about our study of Ephesians. It's been a really rich time. I've been hearing about some great and fruitful times of personal Bible study from lots of folks. They're sharing that they've been really digging into the word and are really meeting the Lord in the word. Um, and, and I've also been hearing about um, home groups just having awesome um, time together in the word. Uh, and so I'm just so encouraged um, by what the Lord is doing in our body in these days. Um, I think he's really meeting us and ministering to us in his word. Um, so Matt uh, Henderson kicked off our study of Ephesians with a great introduction to the Ephesian church. Um, I wanted to especially remind you um, when uh, Matt shared about how um, Ephesus was an economic, a cultural, religious, and academic center of its region at the time, and that's very much like our city here in Lexington. Um, and then I also wanted to remind you about how um, Matt shared from Acts 19 when Paul first met uh, the group of believers in Ephesus that were meeting together and that had been um, had been baptized according to the baptism of John, um, but had not yet heard about Jesus, apparently, and had not, had not yet received the Holy Spirit. Um, so Matt shared about how um, really the church at Ephesus was, was laid or was founded um, in a move of the Holy Spirit when Paul um, kind of asked, met that, met that group of believers, uh, shared the gospel with them, um, and they you know, were baptized or in the name of Christ and then received the Holy Spirit. Um, so the next we heard about heard from Matt Hellman, and Matt shared about how uh, Matt number two shared about how uh, God has always been in relationship uh, within the Trinity, and that He invites us into that relationship, um, invites us to come alongside Him and participate in the work that He's doing in the earth. Matt Schaefer, um, I'm not seeing. Oh, there's Matt. Matt Schaefer um, then shared about God the Father. Uh, so he kind of was the first to to dial in on um, one of the members of the Trinity. And he shared about how God the Father is a good and generous Father um, who loves to bless and provide for his children, who is involved in his family, who disciplines his children and establishes vision and direction. Victor then described, I, yeah, I said Victor. Victor described the work of Christ, um, uh, Jesus the Son, God the Son, beautifully and powerfully fulfilled the father, Father's vision to redeem, forgive, and adopt his lost children, including the Gentiles. And then last week, Dan, I see Dan, Dan um, shared about how the son um, was obedient to the father's vision from before the foundation of the world. He went to the cross lovingly and willingly, and he is now seated at the right hand of God, um, ruling and reigning. And tonight, I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit, um, the third person of the Trinity, and we haven't um, spent a lot of time talking about him yet. Um, and I want to kind of map out um, a quick outline for you here at the beginning, so hopefully um, that will keep me on, on task, uh, and, and it'll help us all to follow along. So first, I want to talk about how the Holy Spirit worked to found the, the Ephesian church. We'll kind of revisit that passage from Acts 19. Then I want to talk about how the Holy Spirit is God, and then about how the Holy Spirit is a person, 
Um, and then finally, I want to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit as Paul describes it in Ephesians. And our key text is up here on, this, on the screen for you, I think. Yes. Um, this is Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In whom you also trusted after that you believed. I'm sorry. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Um, so first, let's talk about the context uh, of the Holy Spirit, specifically within this church at Ephesus. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of just share back that scripture from Acts. I think I may actually have it up. Yes, so um, in Acts 19, 1 through 7, um, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said to them, Have you received the Holy, the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said to them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And all of the men were about twelve. So Paul was newly arrived in Ephesus. He finds this group of disciples who love God and follow the teachings of John the Baptist. And he asks them whether they had yet received the Holy Spirit. Um, now put yourself in Paul's shoes. You've come to, let's pretend that you're coming to a new city. You've just arrived in a new city. You're trying to figure out what God is doing in that city. Um, and you find a new group of believers. What would you ask them? Anybody want to throw out something, that, like a question that you would lead with? What would be, like, what would, how would you kind of figure out what God is doing in this city? Or, in, you know, in this group of believers? Anybody? Brave souls. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? That might be a, a good way to start, right? Anybody else? What's your testimony, right? Like, tell me what God has done in your life, right? Anyone else? How's your relationship with God, right? Like, so I, I think all of these things are the first, some of the first things that would come to mind for me. And I don't know, maybe that's just like American Christianese or something, you know. I, but I, I think it's so interesting and I think really important that the, the question, I don't know, Paul maybe asked them lots of questions. I was talking with Matt Henderson about this while we were walking at the Arboretum. And, uh, and I was like, well, you know, he said, we don't know what meant, how many questions Paul asked them. You know, we don't know that this is his first question. We don't know whatever. But it is the, the only question, really, that we get that Luke decided to record in the book of Acts for whatever reason. I think that that's important, right? Uh, Paul's question to them that we get in, in the text isn't, tell me about your salvation story. Tell me about your testimony. Tell me, you know... Uh, do you, have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? You know, like there's lots of ways that we kind of ask some of these questions in, in, in our kind of American church. And what Paul uh, hones in on is receiving the Holy Spirit. Um, so uh, that, that, I think, is my framing question for the night. Uh, so let's carry that in our minds as we continue to walk through the, this passage. And, I'll, you know, I'll say more about the, how the Holy Spirit was promised um, as we move, uh, move through the text, but I want to remind you that Jesus was excited um, to send the Holy Spirit to be with the church. Um, Jesus was excited about that. In John um, 16, 7, he told the disciples that it would be better for them for him to go away, 
because if he went away, he would be able to send the comforter um, who would come and be with them and be in them. Uh, so we'll you know, carry this question in your hearts as we you know, move through. Have you received the Holy Spirit? I think it's really important. Okay, um, next, let's talk about how the Holy Spirit is God. I'm going to forget to... Okay, great. Um, so uh, just as much as God the Father and God the Son... So a few weeks ago, Matt Schaefer shared us, with us about how God the Father establishes vision and direction for his household, um, how he decided uh, before the world came into being that he would create us, adopt us, and shape us and form us in the image of his perfect son. Um, we then heard from Dan and Victor about how God the Son has always operated in perfect obedience to the Father. His perfect obedience, even obedience unto death on the cross, brought about the fulfillment of God's grand plan to redeem, forgive, and adopt us, even the Gentiles. And God the Son is now at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly throne room at this moment, ruling and reigning together with the Father. But what about the Holy Spirit? What is his role? How does he fit into this passage? Um, So first I wanted to say that the Holy Spirit, well, first I should say, this is just like a a teeny introduction to the Holy Spirit. Um, The guys in our study group will tell you um, that I, Came, when I came with, for my notes, with my notes for this teaching, I came with like 13 points about the Holy Spirit from Ephesus, or from the book of Ephesians. And the guys were like, you can't do that. That's too much. Um, trim that down to like three, right? Um, so that's, that's what we're working with. You could spend a lot of time, right, studying the Holy Spirit in, uh, just in the book of Ephesians, much less the whole um, Bible. So all that we're getting tonight is going to be just kind of an introduction um, to the Holy Spirit. And hopefully it will help us all Um, to have some context and some framing for thinking about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit as we move through the the book of Ephesians. All right, Um, so fire. Um, Matt Hellman described the Holy Spirit uh, and how the Holy Spirit appeared all through the the Old Testament following that image of fire. Um, Fire moving through the sacrifices when God cut a covenant with Abraham. Fire in the burning bush when God encountered uh, Moses. A pillar of fire during the wilderness journey of the Israelites fire consuming the sacrifices of Elijah on Mount Carmel. Um, And then the image of fire culminates in the New Testament. Um, Pastor Bill just read that scripture from Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples um, on the day of Pentecost. And then again, in Revelation, the Spirit um, pops up with the candlesticks. Um, The churches are represented um, uh, as a candlestick with these, uh, the fire of the Spirit, um, you know, on on those different um, candles. my, I'll go off script quickly. Uh, you know, uh, Bill kind of opened the door when he made a joke about the fire. Um, and so I'll say uh, just one quick thing. Um, a lot of people like to drop C.S. Lewis quotes in their sermon. Um, I, I uh, well, was searching for a way to drop a Tolkien quote. Um, and he, he opened the door. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about fire. Um, and, and who in The Lord of the Rings is most associated with fire? Sauron, Balrog, who else? Gandalf, yes. Um, This is what Tolkien says about Gandalf in the essay on the Astari, which is in the Unfinished Tales, if you're curious. Um, He says, warm and eager was his spirit, and it was enhanced by the ring Narya, one of the elven rings, right? For he was the enemy of Sauron, opposing the fire that devours and wastes with the fire that kindles and suckers in wan hope and distress. Um, and I'm, I'm captured by that for the Holy Spirit. I think that Tolkien is, is touching on something about the Holy Spirit there um, and about God and, and why 
fire is a thing in the Old Testament uh, that's associated with, with God and his move in the earth. I think sometimes in our way of thinking about fire, we think about it as a destructive force. Um, although as an ecologist, fire is also a restorative force, so it's kind of complicated. Um, but here I think uh, you know, the Holy Spirit both purges um, and refines and inspires and stirs up, right? Um, so there's more to fire than kind of maybe what you might immediately think about when you think about fire. Okay, that was my, that was my um, Tolkien quote. Uh, so here are a few more examples about the Holy Spirit through um, the Old Testament specifically. What I want to emphasize here is that the, the Holy Spirit is not like a new person on the team. Like it was not like he was not like a new person that Jesus recruited to the team to team God after he ascended. Right? That's he's been part of the Trinity forever. He's always been, um, you know, he's always been part of God, the Godhead. Um, and he uh, is now, and he always will be, right? So he is, he is fully God. So the Holy Spirit was present at creation um, in Genesis 1. Sorry for that typo. Um, he was hovering over the waters and participating with the Father and the Son to create the world and everything in it. Um, in Exodus 31, he specifically was uh, said to inspire Bezalel, who was just like a, a dude in, of the Israelites, one of the Israelites, he was specifically said to inspire him, to give him the wisdom to craft all of the implements of the tabernacle according to the, the specifications that God gave. Um, the spirit then in Numbers 11 came upon the 70 elders of Israel and, and, and um, gave them the gift of prophecy. And so they started prophesying. Um, and Joshua is like, Moses, these guys are prophesying in the camp. Uh, and Moses said, I wish that all of God's people would prophesy. Right? Uh, it's, in, it's incredible. So um, then the Holy Spirit came upon Balaam the seer when Balak, the king of Moab, hired him to curse the people of Israel. And he can't curse the people of Israel, right? The Holy Spirit will not let him curse the people of Israel, and he instead blesses them. Um, and then uh, he comes upon judges. He specifically comes upon Othniel, Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson. He also falls upon David when he was anointed king, as well as Saul, actually, and a couple times. Saul, Saul was another kind of fun one. Um, so all throughout the books of the kings, the Spirit of God comes upon specific prophets uh, and, and gives them prophecies. Um, and so all through this portion of the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit cooperating with the Father and the Son to protect the children of Israel from their enemies, to lead them into righteousness, and to teach and confirm the word that God had given to them, especially the word um, through, that God had given to them through Moses. So the Holy Spirit has always been operating in the earth in cooperation with the Father and the Son um, since before the foundation of the earth to accomplish the Father's vision to adopt many sons and daughters who would fill the earth with his glory. The Holy Spirit is as much God as God the Father and God the Son. He's not less powerful or less significant, um, and let's, let's keep that in mind. Um, the Holy Spirit is still cooperating with God the Father and God the Son, uh, and we see this at least... Um, well, we see it all through the Old Testament, but maybe especially in John chapters 14 and 16 when Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit. Um, in John 16, 12 through 15, uh, Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things and remind us all the things that Jesus has taught. Um, in John 14, 16, he promises that the Holy Spirit will abide with us forever. Um, in John 14, 17, he promises that the Holy Spirit will be in us. Um, and in John 16, 14, that the Holy Spirit will glorify the Son. 
Um, so the Holy Spirit isn't pursuing his own agenda. He's, you know, not only is he fully God, but he's also not like a rogue agent, you know. Um, he's he's uh, not pursuing his own agenda. He's not trying to build his own ministry um, or working to establish a name for himself. Um, he is establishing, confirming, and continuing the work of God the Son in the earth um, that God the Father purposed from before the foundation of, of the earth. So let's, let's carry that forward with us as well. Um, okay, next. The Holy Spirit is a person. You might be wondering why I'm harping on this. Um, I did a little um, Googling and found a, a couple polls um, of Christians where a shocking number of Christians or people who claim to be Christian said that the Holy Spirit isn't a person. Um, and I thought that that was kind of shocking. Um, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, and and I, I should say, I've actually, I've heard, I've heard that also, maybe not explicitly, but implicitly. When people refer to the Holy Spirit as it in their prayer um, or in conversation, um, that is, that is a dehumanizing way to speak of the Holy Spirit, right? You would not refer to your grandma as it, or your mother or your spouse as it. That would be, you know, I, 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 occasionally you might refer to your pesky sibling as it, right? Or, or maybe a, a problem child. Um, but that would be intentional, and it would be meant to be insulting, right? Um, so do not, do not uh, in, unintentionally or intentionally insult the Holy Spirit by calling him it because um, he is a person. Um, anyway, but most, many Christians apparently aren't sure how or whether to relate to the Holy Spirit. Um, a 2021 American Worldview poll um, found that 69% of the U.S. population considers themselves a Christian, but of that, 58% of them uh, agreed to the statement that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being, but is merely a symbol of God's power, presence, or purity. Um, so anyway, that might not be surprising to you. Uh, surely, you know, 69% of the U.S. population, um, we probably would say, is, is probably not actually living as Christians. You know, they might kind of culturally consider themselves Christians. So what does that statistic look like for the people who are, like, really Christian, right? Uh, so this particular survey broke down what it means to be a Christian into, like, successively, like, stricter categories. And the strictest category um, only 6% of the population identified as a Christian by like the strictest definition. And of them, 39% made the same statement about the Holy Spirit. So like 40% of, is that true? 40% of Christians, um, people who are like actually Christians, believe that the Holy Spirit isn't a person, um, but it's just like this symbol, right? That, that's shocking to me. Um, and then similarly, another poll in 2022, this State of Theology poll, uh, found, and that's what's up on the screen here, but you can't see it, sorry. 60% um, of uh, evangelicals said that the Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. The Holy Spirit is not a force. He is not, like, the force, right? Uh, the Holy Spirit is uh, a person, and we need to relate to him as a person. Um, and I wanted to give a few examples from scripture that I think are really clear in explicating how the Holy Spirit is a person and showing that it would be incorrect for you to think of the Holy Spirit as anything but a person. So first, uh, I think I have a slide for this. I didn't practice with my slides, so sorry. Yes, um, first the Holy Spirit is a teacher, and I'm drawing this from John 16, 12 through 15. Um, the Holy Spirit reveals the purposes, plans, and mysteries of God to us, just as God the Son revealed the will of God um, 
in parables, for example, and I think Dan, um, when Dan was talking about how Jesus revealed the will of the Father, he shared about how Jesus kind of unfolded this um, messy question of divorce for the, the people um, of Israel who were there listening to him, right? So just as Jesus, you know, God the Son, revealed and taught his people um, the will of God and the word of God, the Holy Spirit also is a teacher. Um, and um, I also was struck by, um, in thinking about God as teacher, I was struck by um, the passage from Genesis 18 when God shows up at Abraham's tent um, and kind of has this conversation with himself. And he says, um, sh- how, how can we not share with Abraham what we're about to do? What was he about to do in Genesis 18? destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Um, He's like, how can we not share this with Abraham? You know, he's gonna become this great nation. um, And we know that he's gonna teach his children uh, to to do what is right. Um, So I I just love kind of the heart of the Father of God, you know, throughout time to share what he's doing um, with his, you know, to bring his sons, bring his children into the work that he's doing in the earth. Um, Teaching is a deeply uh, personal and interpersonal act. Uh, Matt mentioned that I'm a teacher. Um, you know, I I take that. I think that I take that seriously. You know, um, and some of the things that grieve me as a teacher are uh, ways that education moves away from that personal um, interaction. Amber, you're shaking. You're, you're nodding. You know this. Um, you feel this, right? Like the 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 uh, wrenching of online school during COVID, right? Um, teaching to blank Zoom screens, you know. Um, that's, not, that's not teaching. So, I mean, it's, it's not. Um, it's not that you lose that personal connection, right? That's actually, that's actually really significant. Um, so anyway, sorry, I'm going off script. Um, so teaching is deeply interpersonal. One person imparting to another person their knowledge and way of understanding. Um, and I would bet that many of us, all of us, could probably uh, call to mind at least one teacher who profoundly changed our lives. I was blessed to sit under several really excellent teachers during my time, both in college and in grad school. And I, I can think of, just, of a couple that, I, that very quickly came to mind as people who changed my life, like changed the way that I thought about myself and thought about the world. Um, so one of them is Dr. Strait. I don't know, some of you maybe had Dr. Strait. Abby, did you ever have Dr. Strait? Um, at prof- uh, incredible professor of English at Asbury. Um, he was probably the most passionate professor that I ever had. Um, if you've ever had a class with him, you know the feeling of like being, like beheld, like his eyes, you know, there's something about his eyes and the way that he looks at you when he's talking about Shakespeare. And it's just like, I don't know, it's, there's, nothing, there's nothing like it, you know, you're just kind of captured by them. Um, and the intensity and the energy and the curiosity, right, that is, that is just communicated through that uh, is incredible. So my dad taught me how to read, but Dr. Strait taught me how to read, you know. Um, and that was, I don't know, like I, I don't think I would have gotten the same experience if I just picked up a book on Shakespeare, you know. It was sitting in that classroom and interacting with the human person, Dr. Strait, that really was transformative for me. Uh, Dr. Vincent, I don't know if anybody ever had Dr. Vincent at Asbury. He was another English professor. Um, not a particularly energetic individual by the time that I had him. He was very late career. Um, but I remember the transformative thing that Dr. Vincent did for me was he revealed that he was, a, he was a person, like he was human, and he met me as a human person in the middle of a difficult semester. Um, he asked me why I was bombing my American literature tests um, and invited me to get coffee with him in the, in the student center. And he was like, what's going on? I know that you can do better than this. And that was like, 
incredibly uh, transformative for me. You know, like that revealed to me that as a teacher, you know, you could, you could behold a human person and interact with them as a human. Um, and, and I think that that has been transformative for me as a teacher, you know, knowing, having experienced that. Um, so, you know, I could have picked, picked up a book, a book about Shakespeare and read a lot about Shakespeare and probably learned some things, right? But I wouldn't have learned the way or what I learned by sitting under a teacher, a human teacher. And similarly with um, American Lit, I could have read some American Lit anthologies, learned some stuff about American literature, but I wouldn't have felt cared for or seen by a professor, you know? So I want to emphasize that teaching has always been a deeply personal endeavor, and it is, it is deeply personal in the Bible. God um, taught Moses. He specifically promised to teach Moses in Exodus 4. He commanded Moses to teach the people. He commissioned parents to teach their children. Um, and Jesus himself is probably primarily identified as a teacher, right, or the teacher. Uh, and so abstraction of, of, of teaching from the human person is theoretically possible, and we saw that um, in dystopia. We can see that in a variety of dystopian fictions as well as in COVID-era teaching, um, right? Um, but don't let that frame your understanding of the Holy Spirit as an impersonal force. Um, the Holy Spirit is a teacher, and a teacher is a person. The Holy Spirit is also a comforter, an advocate. Um, so I want to ask if you've ever been comforted by a friend in a difficult time of your life. Um, maybe you lost a loved one or had a relationship end badly. You struggled with an injury. You lost your job or experienced depression. Um, I uh, can readily come up or think of a few examples of times in my life when I really needed to be comforted. Um, I had kind of a rough patch in grad school and the, uh, towards the end of my uh, dissertation, and I really pressed in and met God as comforter. Um, and, and I think that specifically was the Holy Spirit who met me in the midst of that really difficult time and just comforted me. You know? and, I, and I want to encourage you if, you know, if you are in a difficult time or feel like um, things are dark or whatever, um, that the Holy Spirit wants to comfort you. He wants to be there right with you, in you and alongside you, and comfort you. Um, another example, this one's a little bit more lighthearted, but some of you may know that I applied for my dream job a couple years ago. Um, and it would be a tenure track position in the, in the forestry department where I did my graduate work. Uh, and it would be more research focused. And I love I loved teaching, I really do love teaching, but I also really love research and I'd love a job where I could do a little bit more of both, you know? Um, so I was really sure that this was the provision of the Lord when this job came up, and I was like, yes, this is the Lord's provision. Here's that tenure-track job I've been praying for. Um, I put in my application. I was, like, fairly confident that I would at least get an interview, um, but I didn't even get selected for an interview, you know, and I was just crushed, right? So I texted the family feed, and I was like, guys, I'm just really having a hard time right now. I applied for this position, and I didn't even get an interview. Um, and the next thing I know, uh, Laurel and Tucker are at my door with a milkshake and these drawings. Um, they drew me. I, I subsequently took them to my office and spilled coffee on them, so sorry about that. Everything, everything that I love has coffee spilled on it at some point in time. Um, but, and you can't, you can't see them super well, but basically both of these pictures are images of me in the forest. And I'm wearing my chacos in at least one of them, um, you know. But it's, I just was comforted by this, right? Like the milkshake and the drawings, 
Um, and that, that was a, a deeply personal work uh, of Laurel and Tucker. So they're not here, but thank you for them. Um, I think I'm running out of time, so I'm going to move a little more quickly. The Holy Spirit is an encourager. Uh, encouraging and strengthening is a deeply personal work. The, work that, the word that Paul uses in Ephesians 3 to describe that encouragement of the Holy Spirit um, expresses uh, uh, fortitude, toughness, steadfastness in the face of, face of adversity. It's the same word that is used in the Septuagint to describe Jonathan encouraging David while he was fleeing from Saul. It says that Jonathan strengthened David um, and, and helped him uh, while he was fleeing from Saul. Um, Ruth, when Ruth decided to persist, was steadfast in, in her uh, decision to go with Naomi back to Judah. That was that same kind of word, that same toughness and strength that was being described there. So maybe you are in a situation where you're just in the middle of a, of a hard time. Um, life can be really hard at times, right? I know some of you have really difficult um, situations at work where work maybe isn't awesome, you know, every day, or maybe it's demanding a lot of you, and that's kind of pooling on other, other, other parts of your life, right? Um, or maybe, you know, right now, I'm, I feel like um, Susanna, sorry, Susanna and I are in kind of a hard situation just with having three kids, right? I call it third child syndrome sometimes. Um, when, uh, you know, in the middle of having three kids um, under the age, well, Silas just turned five, so five and under, um, you know, I know many of us are in this place, some of us have more, um, and it's just difficult, you know. Um, I can testify that I have met the Holy Spirit in the midst of that difficulty, and that the Holy Spirit has strengthened me. Um, and I would bet, Sarah, I was so um, just uh, inspired and stirred up by your testimony of your mom, and I hope, Larry and Elizabeth, that you're watching, I miss you. Um, they. I was struck by, um, I think they have a testimony of the strength of the Holy Spirit in the midst of all of the difficulty that they've experienced, you know. Um, like, of, of all the people in the church, I would say Larry and Elizabeth have a testimony of, the, of that steadfastness and toughness in the midst of difficulty. Um, they have met the Holy Spirit in a deep way, and the Holy Spirit has strengthened them to um, persist um, and be steadfast in the midst of difficulty. So praise, praise the Lord. Uh, the last thing that I'll say about the Holy Spirit as a person is that he does grieve. He experiences grief. The word that's used, uh, to, that's translated grief there or uh, in Ephesians 4 um, is uh, the same word that is used of Jesus um, experiencing sadness and sorrow in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, that's a deep, that is a deep um, sorrow. Uh, it's the same word used to describe the disciples grieving and being sorrowful when Jesus tells them that he's going to the cross. Um, I don't, you cannot tell me that that is not a personal thing. To experience grief is something that a, a force can do or a symbol can do, right? The Holy Spirit is a person, um, uh, and he is God. Um, okay, part four. Whoops. Uh, I have a list of uh, the way that the Holy Spirit works in the book of Ephesians. I'm going to blitz through these 10 points. Um, I had to fit them in two slides. Um, and then we're going to talk about just three, um, like the guys told me to do. Um, so thank you. Thank you, guys. Uh, so these are, the, these are the points. First, the Holy Spirit gives us access to the Father. That's from Ephesians 2. 
Um, second, the Holy Spirit dwells in the midst of the church, also from Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. The Holy Spirit unifies the church from Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand the mysteries of God. That's from Ephesians 3, 3 through 6. Um, number five, the Holy Spirit strengthens us. That's from Ephesians 3, 14 through 16. Um, number six, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. We've already talked a little bit about that today. That's from Ephesians 4, 30 through 32. Number seven, the Holy Spirit um, brings forth fruit in our lives from Ephesians 5, verse 9. The Holy Spirit can fill us. Um, that's from Ephesians 5, 17 through 21. Um, the Holy Spirit operates in the spiritual realm. This is the realm in which we have our warfare. That's from Ephesians 6, 12 through 17. Um, and then the, number 10, the Holy Spirit helps us to pray from Ephesians 6, uh, verse 18. I wanted to put those up there. You can keep them in mind as we walk through the rest of the book of Ephesians. Over the next however many weeks, we're going to be walking through the book of Ephesians. Um, and just bear that in mind. Uh, be looking uh, for the work of the Holy Spirit in the church in uh, Ephesians. All right, uh, lastly, um, let's talk about just uh, these three uh, key words about the Holy Spirit from our key text, Ephesians 1, uh, 13 through 14. I'll read that again. In whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, also after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. So first, this text says that the Holy Spirit has sealed us, and I wanted to talk about two aspects of sealing. One of those is a sign of ownership, and one of them is a sort of protection or a shutting up. Um, so in biblical times, one of the ways that an, uh, an important person would mark something that was theirs is that they would melt some wax on it and then impress it with their signet ring. And their signet ring would be kind of something that just they had. And it had a special symbol on it that was just their symbol. Uh, and then if it was, if you know, you got something that had that wax with the signet impression on it, you knew that it came from that person and that it was important. Um, so this is what happens when um, Jezebel takes uh, Ahab's ring and sends letters in his name um, to, that ends up that ends up in the death of Naboth, right, and the, the theft of his vineyard. Um, we also get that in, um, uh, in the book of Esther, when first Haman and then Mordecai um, receive the king's signet ring and are able to send letters in his name. Uh, and I think this is the same sense that's used in the Song of Songs in chapter 8 when it says, set me as a seal upon my heart and as a seal upon mine arm. The other sense of the word sealing that I think is in scripture is this idea of shutting up or closing. Um, so this is what we see in Daniel 6 when the stone is rolled over the mouth of the lion's den and sealed. And it says that Darius sealed it with his signet ring. Um, and similarly in Matthew 27 when Jesus is buried in the tomb and that stone is rolled over the tomb, they seal it. They put wax on it and they seal it so that they know uh, that it's protected, that it's, they will know if it's been tampered with, right? It's that kind of tamper-proof, um, the tamper-proof seal of um, the first century or whatever, right? Um, that wax with the, with the, the signet in it. Um, and I think both senses of this word are invoked in Revelation 7 when the angel says, um, don't, uh, don't pour out judgment until all the servants of God have been sealed in their foreheads. It's that kind of idea of both protection and of shutting up. Oh, sorry, of ownership as well as protection. 
Um, next, Paul in this passage tells us that the Holy Spirit was promised. Um, and I, I think that the Holy Spirit was promised for a long time. The Holy Spirit was promised all through the Old Testament. Um, in Numbers 11, I mentioned earlier, Moses prophetically says, I would that all of God's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Um, that was prophetic. Uh, in Isaiah 44, the Lord promises to pour his spirit upon thy seed, um, speaking, to, um, speaking of uh, Judah, I believe. And then in Joel 2, um, this is the scripture that uh, Peter quotes in, uh, in Acts on the day of Pentecost. Um, in Joel 2, he, God promises to pour his spirit upon all flesh, stirring up prophecies and visions and working a great deliverance in the earth. So the Holy Spirit was promised all through the Old Testament. I was joking with Matt at the Arboretum um, that this group of people who hadn't heard of the Holy Spirit clearly hadn't read the Bible, right? They hadn't yet read the Old Testament. And we were, yes, they were Gentiles, so they, you know, maybe they didn't have it in their language yet. But anyway, um, we'll give them a pass. All of the Jews certainly should have known about the Holy Spirit because it's all through the Old Testament. Um, he, he is all through the Old Testament. Um, and then Jesus certainly promised to send the Holy Spirit in John chapters 14 and 16. He promised that the Spirit would be in us and with us, that the Holy Spirit would teach us and would testify of, of Jesus, God the Son. And he also promised in Acts 1 to send the Holy Spirit and told the people, told his disciples to wait until they received the Holy Spirit. Um, and so we, we get that in, in, in Acts 2, um, when he fell on the disciples with fire and parted the gift of tongues and stirred them up to preach the gospel. Uh, and then that work of the Holy Spirit continues all through the book of Acts. And again, um, we saw that in Acts 19 when Paul um, shares the gospel with that small group of believers in Ephesus and they start um, to speak in tongues and prophesy. That's the work of the, Holy, of the Holy Spirit. And then the last thing from this passage is this idea of earnest. This is also translated down payment or guarantee. Uh, this idea is this word, uh, this Greek word is only used three times in the New Testament. And in all, they're all, in all cases, they're being used by Paul to describe the Holy Spirit as this down payment. Um, I think that's really interesting. So here in Ephesians and then twice by Paul in the second Corinthians. Um, in 2 Corinthians 1, Paul emphasizes that the earnest of the Spirit is in our hearts, which highlights the role of the Spirit in confirming and establishing the work of God in our lives. And then in 2 Corinthians 5, he describes the earnest of the Spirit as giving us confidence in the resurrection, that we do have a future inheritance in the heavenly realms. And then, um, uh, so just like a buyer, like if you want to buy a house, you uh, put down a down payment, and that's kind of a promise that you will pay the rest of it. Um, you know, uh, God has sent the Holy Spirit as a down payment of our future inheritance. And I think that's really powerful, because if you think about that, that makes God the debtor, and us, like, holding, um, you know, the down payment. We're the seller, in a sense, um, which is kind of Funny to me, it seems reverse of the actual situation, like God has already paid everything. You know, Jesus has already paid everything that he could possibly pay. Um, and so this, I think, just uh, is, at least linguistically, evidence, like Matt was sharing a few weeks ago, of the lavishness of the Father's um, love for us and the way he wants to bless us. Um, so we've read about how the, Holy Ch the Ephesian church was confirmed by a work of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the Holy Spirit as fully God and also a person. And we worked through some of these examples of the work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Ephesians. Um, and so now here at the end, I want to just bring us back to the question that Paul asked. Um, have you received the Holy Spirit? 
Um, and I think there's a couple ways that you could, have, you could receive the Holy Spirit. And I'll just quickly share those, and then Matt can come up and close this. Um, first, um, I think you could receive the Holy Spirit like you would receive an, an it, right? Um, and as an example, I'll just share, um, you know, have you all, how many of you have done that white elephant gift exchange thing? Has anybody, has everyone done that? You've, you're familiar with that. Have you ever gotten something from the white elephant gift exchange that you will not and will never use? And you wish that it was not in your house, right? Um, so I think some of us may receive the Holy Spirit like that, like a white elephant gift, and we receive it, and we put it on our shelf in our garage maybe, and it just stays there until next year, and we try to get rid of it at another white elephant gift exchange, right? Um, the Holy Spirit is not meant to sit on your shelf, you know, unused or unrelated to, right? Um, the Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, think about the, how, how different it is to receive a person in your home and to attend to them um, and take care, of, you know, take care of their needs, be aware of them, have conversation with them, and so on. Um, I want to encourage us that that, that, is how, that is what Paul means when he invites that church to receive the Holy Spirit. Um, so, good. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's thank Kenton for that, for sharing the word with us. Um, I think we're going to um, spend some time. We're going to worship. We're going to close in worship. But while we close in worship, I just want to encourage us to meet with the Holy Spirit tonight. And I think um, one, of the, one of the powerful things about the teaching we've just received uh, is this, just this truth that the Holy Spirit is a person, part of the Trinity, uh, someone that God intends for you to interact with, to have a deep personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so I think there's a lot in that for us. I think um, we can neglect that. We can be scared of that. Uh, we cannot engage in that relationship. And I think tonight is a calling uh, into that uh, for us as a church. So one of the things we talked about in the book of Ephesians is that we're going to be talking about principles and just core elements of who we are as a church, this particular church. And one of the powerful things uh, that I've experienced being a member of this church is that we have had a dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit has sealed this church. Uh, in the years um, that we've been a church, people have known that the Holy Spirit was part of he's present because we know him we love him and I remember uh, in a service very similar to this uh, at the at the end of the service when we were worshiping God together I don't know exactly how old I was we were on Waller Avenue I remember the first time I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit and it was for me it was a powerful just intense presence of something that was in the room with me that I had not experienced before. And I remember, and you can ask dad about this, I remember running to my dad and saying, what is that? And dad didn't ask me, what are you talking about? He said, that's the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so I know the Holy Spirit is going to be here tonight as we, we close in worship. Would you go ahead and stand up and we're going to worship, but I just want to, um, I just want to open up 
the altar tonight, that if you um, you have a sense as you, as you were studying this this week, as you hear Ken talk about the person of the Holy Spirit, you're just like, man, Holy Spirit, all these things I know are true about you. Maybe I've experienced them in the past, uh, but, but, but I've, I've been neglecting you. Uh, and, and I want to press in. I want you to come and fill me anew. We're going to give a little time for that. I'm going to be up here. Bill will be up here. Uh, and we'll close in worship. But I just wanted to read this scripture out of 1 Corinthians. Um, I mean, I love the, I love the, the John 16, 7 verse 2 that, that Ken talked about. Where Jesus said, I'm going away, but it's going to be much better for you. Because church, you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's going to be more powerful than me being here in the earth. That's pretty. That's a pretty bold declaration. But in in First uh, Corinthians two, it says, "What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of any man imagined." Right? It talks about being a down payment of the inheritance. But not even any heart in this room has ever imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. And then it goes on to say, "These things God has revealed to us." through the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's all here, available to us through the Holy Spirit. Let's worship God.